the Ten Commandments. I've referenced it multiple times. Um, if we're not careful, though, we'll let that drive our understanding and the imagery in our mind's eye, this incredible account. Make no mistake, this showdown is not between Moses and Pharaoh. Hear me say that. This showdown is not between Moses and Pharaoh. It's between a hardening Pharaoh and the Lord God Almighty. The Lord told Moses in the beginning of chapter 7, you'll be like God to Pharaoh. What's the translation of that? What does that even mean? Uh, it means you're going to be the mouthpiece of heaven and earth, or heaven on earth, rather. But you're also going to take the brunt of the rejection. Now, without getting too far down the road, that's very similar to the position that you and I take when we say yes to the Lord and share the gospel with our friends and family who don't have a living relationship with the God of this Bible. When we are rejected, we must remember that they are rejecting God. And while it always doesn't mean the end of a friendship, it, it may sometimes. Darkness cannot stand the light. In either case, it's still heartbreaking when the Lord calls and people say no. Now this morning, I don't know if you noticed the amount of uh, passage we're going to cover. I did it last week. We're going to attempt it again this morning. 7-6 through 11-10. What does that mean, church? If you were here last week, that means you get some homework to do. You're going to go back and read this this week and hopefully use these notes to help guide you in your reading and study of God's Word. I have the privilege sometimes, not of late because of current circumstances, of course, with the travel being what it is, but occasionally I get to travel across the country, even to other countries, on behalf of an organization and train churches who have networked together to effectively share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with their friends and family. And every session we have homework, and I do this big thing, I was like, when I say homework, you go, woohoo! and you know, it's a little corny, a little cheesy, but it gets everybody at least smiling when I say that word, homework. And then I give this spoiler, spoiler alert, your pastor gives you homework every week. Most of us just haven't done it. So thank you for doing your homework, uh, Grace Covenant. I'm grateful for that. It's very easy, though, to get lost in the details of the plagues. Time will tell you watching the clock. I don't have time to do that this morning. There are multi-layered elements that clamor for our attention there. Many of the seasoned Bible students in the room know this. You know that the plagues, in essence, were God's um, answer to the Egyptian gods. He was showing that he was above all gods. In fact, there are some plagues that attack multiple gods. We're going to touch on a couple of those. Not all, though. We don't have time for that. And some of you apologetic and scientifically minded in the room will have likely seen at least one of the multiple attempts of those who hold to the religion of scientism trying to undermine the credibility of these actually being miracles. The problem is they have to ignore their own sound scientific principles to make it work in the condensed timeline that it does. It takes minimally 50 days for all of these plagues to take place and up to a year. Well, there's an answer. There's a natural phenomenon that could answer some of these things happening, but not in that compressed timeline. And even if so, I'll show you how that's not even a big deal for us and doesn't shake biblical authority in one iota. So is this a sermon about the plagues or about Pharaoh's heart hardening? 
Well, neither of those is the main point, but we do love to focus on the sensational, don't we? If there's some sizzle in this sermon about how to lead an opposition, uh, emphatic no on that. That's not <laughs> what we're doing. We're going to dive into God's Word and hope that the Word will get into us. I want you to grab your Bibles there if you have them and look at that first couple of verses that were read to us this morning by our brother Jeremy. Thank you so much. In verses 6 and 7 of chapter 7, the first act that's worth commenting on is obedience. Now, you won't have a ton of notes this morning, just some guiding principles. They'll actually come toward the end, three headers. I will enumerate the plagues and mention some things that happen. So if you want to write out the plagues as we get to them and leave a little space in the columns to the right to make some notes, I'm trying to set you up there if you're taking notes this morning. Uh, the first act that's worth mentioning is obedience. Moses and Aaron, it's a theme throughout the book, isn't it? It's a theme throughout our time together this morning as well. Moses and Aaron did so. Now, we covered the so last week. God told them to go to Pharaoh. And he says, go do these things. They've been to him one time. It did not go well, right? The workload got uh, doubled and redoubled and made harder. And now they're going to go back, and this is showdown, as it were, between God and them. And they did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Spring chickens, they were doing God's work and God's will, God's way, so that God got all the credit. God's just reminded Moses that there's a larger reason why Pharaoh will not let the people go. And this will be difficult, even offensive, for our self-absorbed culture to process. Hear me, church. The larger reason for all of this suffering that's about to come down the pike is the Lord's own purpose of judgment upon Pharaoh and bringing glory to himself. God would harden people's hearts so that he might be glorified in judgment? Hold on, preacher. What are you saying? Well, I won't say it better than Paul did in Romans 9. I'd encourage you to make a note to go look at Romans 9, the whole chapter. All of Romans, great. I mean, read the whole Bible. You've got to stop somewhere, right? Romans 9, 14 through 23 will give you a picture. Let me just hone in on two verses here. Listen to the word of the Lord. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Why? In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand. God will exhaust any means necessary even when we don't fully understand them, to bring glory and honor to himself. God exists outside of time, and he knows the plight of all humanity. Remember, when Abraham and Isaac are going up the mountain, and, and Isaac starts freaking out a little bit, going, Dad, I see this, I see that, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God, by faith, will provide for himself a sacrifice. Hebrews gives us the point that he believed God would raise him from the dead, even though there had been no resurrection at that point. God, existing outside of time and space and within at the same time, sees the ram coming up the other. He sees all this stuff playing out. So God, in his infinite mercy and compassionate love and sovereignty, can use really bad people and really bad situations to bring glory 
and honor to himself, and he doesn't have to try hard to do it. This kind of judgment of Pharaoh magnifies God's grace to a greater degree. Think about it. Israel didn't deserve God's mercy. Israel didn't deserve deliverance. Israel also deserved judgment. What made them different from the Egyptians? You want to know what it is? God had set his love on them. His said love, his never failing, never stopping, undying love on them and made a covenant for his glory and pleasure. So now Moses and Aaron are going to appear before Pharaoh again, and we know how the last encounter went. Look with me at the next couple of verses, if you will, uh, verses 8 through 13. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his own staff, and they became serpents. Okay, But Aaron's staff swallowed up theirs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now, snakes were a big deal. They captivated the Egyptians. Snakes are also a big deal on Woodridge Court in Concord, North Carolina, because anytime one appears, the next door neighbor thing blows up, right? There was a snake, and it looked like this. We get a description of it, a blasting up social media. Snakes are a big deal to the Egyptians. Pharaoh wore one on his head as a symbol of his authority. He was to be feared like these venomous snakes were to be feared. The Egyptians were so awestruck by snakes, they built a temple to them to honor the snake goddess Wajet, who also represented a cobra. By the way, not on the baby name list for 2021, Wajet. There are counterfeit signs all across the world that indicate other powers at work. These are counterfeit signs that indicate, watch this, the power of darkness at work. Just a little bit of study here will indicate to you that these, we're not talking about snake charmers or illusionists or sleight of hand. This is a display of occult practices tapping into the very power of Satan himself. In 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul describes the work of the lawless one as activity of Satan, practicing, listen, false miracles, signs, and wonders. This is the reason Christians are to have no part in anything connected to the occult. No part, young people, no part in anything connected to the occult. It's too dangerous. I can handle it. You cannot. It costs Egypt everything. You can't handle it. I don't know a more appropriate season to make the point in than right now. Brothers and sisters in Christ, hear your pastor this morning. You have no business as children of light associating with darkness and death even if it's dressed up as fun no 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 part the lord would tell his people over and over have nothing to do with these pagan gods and their practices nothing to do with them why because you'll get entangled uh, it won't happen to me i doubt it 
the New Testament says to abstain from every appearance, from every form of evil. That word abstain, to shrink back from it, keep aloof from it, keep it as a far away distance as possible, not dab in it for fun's sake. Moving on. We can take courage in the fact that Christ overcomes all powers of darkness. In fact, same passage from 2 Thessalonians. It says, with the breath of his mouth, he will slay the works of the enemy and Satan himself. What a God. We're on the winning side. Why would you want to identify with a bunch of losers? We catch a glimpse of that here in verse 12. Aaron's serpent swallows up their serpents. Think about it. These magicians, these sorcerers, these um, wisest of the men in Israel, the council here, didn't get their staffs back. That's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? I can do that too. And they throw it down and it does a thing. And they're like, oh, um, and Pharaoh goes, what? What are you doing? Where's your staff? God wins. The word swallowed here is interesting. It's the same word used later in Exodus 15 describing the drowning of the Egyptians. God will swallow Israel's enemies later on in our narrative this morning. And thank God in 1 Corinthians 15 we see that death is swallowed up our great enemy. What a God. What a text this morning. Let me give you four things that we're going to see play out through every plague. Don't worry, I won't hit every plague in this level of detail. Ain't nobody got time for that. We just don't this morning. So you're going to do the reading. I'm going to give you some things to guide you through. Let me give you four, I think, consistent elements that I, they started appearing to me. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit uh, sitting beside of us and working in us as we study the text, bringing to light things that we see. But I'm also thankful for the godly uh, writers and thinkers and theologians who have gone ahead of us and dug some wells that I get to drink from. I'm especially thankful to Tony Merida, Tim Chester, and Alec Mottier for their writings on this. And uh, I'm super grateful because I had a lot of text to cover, and they were helpful to help me say things that I was trying to say like this, like that. I'm grateful. Look at these four elements that I think are present in every single plague. Number one is obedience. This is important. I would write these things down if I were you. Number one is obedience, the elements present. Number two, God's power. So in obedience, while you're writing, Moses and Aaron are commanded to do something. We said it a couple of weeks ago. We call them signs and wonders for Moses and Aaron. They were just obeying God. They, weren't, they didn't ever look over. There's no indication they went, <laughs> watch this. There's just not that. They weren't Americans. There was, YouTube didn't send people down to record it. However that works, like that just didn't happen, right? They're like, we're just going to obey the Lord. God says, do this, we're going to do it. Then we see God's power. That's kind of a, you know, you got that. I don't need to unpack that. It's on display for all to see. Satan's counterfeits, and I would also make the note, or attempts. There's sometimes that attempted and fail. Other times they couldn't even attempt because they were stricken, they were stricken with the plague themselves. Number four, Pharaoh's heart hardening as he refuses the Lord. You got those four elements. They'll show up again. Four elements. Obedience, God's power, Satan's counterfeits, and Pharaoh's heart hardens. Remember, the main theme here is that God's name would be exalted. Let's look at the plagues. I think I could take a uh, survey and some Sunday school kids could answer them for me, but let's see what they were. Walking back through them. All right, so the water turned into blood. Remember? Everybody says, ooh, yuck, right? Water into blood. Um, and this article that I'll send you later on in the week, and I'll, I'll comment on it later, talks about the fact that no Egyptian or Israelite would have considered this the red rock or just algae stirred up in the water. They would have not called it blood. They would have called it something else, a red color. That's not what happened. 
Here's the thing, and again, I don't want to get ahead of myself, so I'll come back to it. Water turned to blood. Fro- Y'all have been living with these plagues for like two weeks. I'm, I'm trying to tap it down, okay? Frogs. I like Kermit. That's not what we're talking about here. These are, these are just not good. They're everywhere. Remember, they were in people's beds, in their bowls. Disgusting. Like we hear them in the creek behind our house, and uh, I'm ready to go gigging. Gnats, mosquitoes, lice. Um, it's characterized, the word actually, the, the Hebrew word there is so um, wide open, it could be used to describe many things, but folks that have studied this that know what they're doing with that kind of study uh, kind of land on the word gnats to qualify those lice and uh, mosquitoes. You've got biting flies. Uh, the Egyptian livestock die. Number six, there are boils that break out on everybody. Y'all remember these? Hail. And it's not just hail. It's not just a little pea-sized hailstorm. These are like stones falling from the sky, and also they're on fire, some of them. What? How's that possible? Actually, easily possible. With volcanic eruption, that can easily happen with a storm coming through, getting tainted by some of the ash close enough, carrying it's, it's remarkable. I, I'd like to see it on video, not in person. Okay? Hail. Locusts. Darkness covering all the earth except for Goshen. Darkness covering all of Egypt, rather, except for Goshen. Interesting. And then, of course, the final plague, death of the firstborn. I've mentioned it. I've alluded to it. There's an article posted where um, these uh, scientists, or I would say faux atheists, putting philosophy uh, forth and ideology posing as science, try to discredit the miraculous nature of the Egyptian plagues. They've got a natural phenomenon to attribute every single thing to. And Ashley forwarded that to me. They were doing some study on Egyptian culture and history uh, just over the past weeks and months in our home for homeschool. And it's, it's a fascinating article to read. It really is. The problem is uh, there's an implausible reach that happens a couple of times. The timeline is its enemy. The cohesion, the exclusion of the Israelites, like the next-door neighbors it didn't happen to, that, Kind of natural phenomenon doesn't do a really good job at that. And the lack of replication at any other point in history, of course, if it's scientific, it should be replicatable. Um, they, they tried, nonetheless, and they've been trying for years. There's no smoking gun here, but let me just acknowledge um, the elephant in the room, if I can. Some of these plagues very well may have been natural phenomena in some sense. God uses naturally occurring elements in divine ways at the perfect time to make himself known. There there may have even been a knock-on effect with the earlier plagues. Watch this. The Nile is polluted, which sends frogs into the towns. The frogs die in huge numbers, which brings gnats and flies, and, and then produce an epidemic of disease, which kills the livestock and spread boils among humans. Yeah, okay. But the timing of these plagues leaves no room for doubt that it's God's doing. Listen to some of these elements of timing. Most of the plagues are announced in advance, although every third plague comes without warning. Every third plague, this time the first, fourth, and seventh, we're told that Moses appears to Pharaoh in the morning. Four of the plagues mentioned tomorrow, it's going to start or stop. Moses grants Pharaoh the honor of setting a time for one, and Moses himself sets the time for another. The fifth plague, God sets the time for the fifth and seventh plague. Now with the final plague, the Lord's appointed time starting is at midnight. Aaron is said to be the agent of the first three plagues. Moses is the agent of the sixth to ninth plagues, but God is the direct agent of the fourth, fifth, and tenth plague. Here's the point. That's a lot of trivia at one time. Here's the point. They didn't just happen. 
behold, the power of God, church. They happen in God's timing, at God's instigation, and through God's chosen messengers. There's another miraculous element to this. The Israelites had experienced the first plagues alongside the Egyptians, but God's divine sovereignty over these plagues is on full display when they don't experience all of them. They're spared from the hail, the darkness, and the death. We're left in no doubt. We see the obedience of Moses and Aaron on display in every single instance. God says, do it this way, and they do it that way, and God moves. I wonder what would happen, church family, brothers and sisters in Christ, if with childlike faith and with wonder, we would obey the Lord's commands with reckless abandon and watch God move in miraculous ways for his own glory in our midst. As God's displaying his power, we come to see, and here's your first big point this morning. First big point, the Lord is the creator. God is displaying this to the nations. The Lord is the creator of all the earth, and all creation is in his power. Wow. He's the creator. The Lord is the creator. Now, I mentioned to you that there was God's power on display. We saw obedience. What about the attempts to counterfeit? Well, let's remember who was there. You had the wise men, the wisdom, right, of the ages. You had the sorcerers, the high priests of society at the time that were not following Yahweh. And then the magicians, who I would say were the entertainers. You got it? So you've got the wisest, the intellectual elite. You've got the entertainment industry complex if you will and then you've got the high priests of the day I, I think the high priests of our day are those that are engaged in scientism and humanism secular humanism the entertainment has way too much the entertainment industry has way too much sway and influence who wait, i'm sorry who cares what an actor thinks about anything i'm sorry like you get up and pretend to be some. We pay you millions of dollars to pretend to be somebody, and then we're like, "Now, what's your position?" I don't, I don't, I, I don't care. I, right? I don't mean to be crass if that offends you. I mean, where have you been? I've given you much more than that. But um, wow. But we are so we love celebrity culture so much that we will drink from anything that's put in front of us. Church, family, we've got to stop drinking from the toxic waters of of what this world has to offer and recognize that we are tapped into the source of life and strength. Let's look at the counterfeits. I don't want to get bogged down for time. We still have a bit to cover. Go back and forth and look at these uh, counterfeits. In the first one, the water turned to blood. I'm just going to list those plagues again for you. That was replicated. They were able to replicate that happening. They were able to turn water to blood. Here's the issue, though. The fact, if you go back and read the text, that they dug trenches to try to get to fresh water, they couldn't make it go away. So it was replicated, but... It wasn't fixable. The second plague, the frogs, they were able to replicate that, but they couldn't get rid of them. The gnats, they tried, but failed to replicate. There's no indication on number four and five. On number six, they, these, all these counsel, the magicians, were afflicted with boils themselves. They couldn't even stand to try. Their hearts hardened when the hail fell. With locusts, when the locusts came, watch this. Watch how they turn. They start asking Pharaoh to submit to the Lord when the locusts came. And by the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn, they regarded Moses highly. 
the scripture says. Well, now that's a dramatic worldview shift. How about these Egyptian gods I mentioned that are being dismantled before their very eyes? I'm going to just cover a few for time's sake, okay? How about the water turning to blood? The Egyptians worshiped the Nile as their creator. We talked about that before. At least three deities were associated with the Nile. God wiped that out pretty quickly. How about the boils? The boils that came. The Egyptian gods also looked to their false gods for healing. This included Amon Re, right? That's what they believed Pharaoh was. They believed Pharaoh was the incarnation of that. This plague was an attack on all these false gods that the, the Egyptians trusted for their healing. Can I just make as a side note? It's just taken a few months of a pandemic to shake all the things we've trusted in to protect us. And we're shooting and blaming at anything that moves because we just cannot accept the fact that we're not in control of anything that comes our way. The locusts in the eighth plague here, God was continuing to humiliate the Egyptian gods. This time it was an assault on the gods of the fields. Many Egyptians depended on men, the patron god of the crops, Isis, the goddess of life, Nepri, the god of grain, Anubis, the guardian of the fields, and Senehem, the protector of pests, and they all failed miserably when God sent locusts. One plague shut them all down. Darkness. This one's really bad, church. Darkness would have been terrifying to the Egyptians because they saw darkness as death. They worshipped the sun every morning. The rising of the sun of the east reaffirmed the life-giving power of their chief god, if you will, Amon Re. Pharaoh was known as the son of Re. But the biggest and baddest that Egypt had could not help them. Can I say a word about this? We are a conflicted bunch we are. We're a conflicted bunch in the West. I believe that. With all of our technology, our modern scientific understanding, our medical advances and communication tools, we cannot accept that we cannot stop death. When it comes naturally or unnaturally by tragedy, we hate it. We look for a scapegoat to blame. We'll do anything to prevent it and we'll guilt ourselves sick with hindsight trying to find a reason to undo it. But the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. Are you afraid of death? Because you know that you'll stand before God, the holy judge. You should be. You didn't think I was going to say that. You should be. If you're afraid to stand before God as judge, you should be afraid of death. It's your enemy. Because it's going to thrust you to stand before the king that you will have to give an account for. If there's no mediator between you and God, you should be very afraid. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Egypt will testify that the Lord is the creator of all the earth and they will also testify that the Lord is the judge. Number two. In all three cycles of the plague, we see those elements. Obedience, God's power, counterfeit efforts, and Pharaoh's hard heart. Remember that the main he theme here, though, is that God's name would be exalted. That he would be known as the Lord God Almighty who reigns over heaven and earth. We covered this last week. Just remember what we covered. We said that God would make himself known in Israel. He would make himself known in Egypt. And he would make himself known to all the nations because of his power shown through these plagues and the exodus of God's people. Take a quick look at Pharaoh's heart here. Everything he holds dear is falling apart. Egypt is becoming unmade. 
Everything around Pharaoh, the very fabric of his world, is disintegrating into chaos, darkness, and death. Well, what about Pharaoh's heart hardening? You, you said God was going to do that. I, I've got a problem with that. That's okay. God's perfectly okay with us having to work through some of our issues with that. But let's look back at the timeline, shall we? Remember when Moses went to Pharaoh the first time, I brought it to you. And I said, he says, the Lord says, he says, the Lord? What Lord? I'm Lord. There's no Lord. Nobody's above me. He rejected God at the first opportunity he had to meet him and to submit to him. Here's how it works, though. On the first uh, water to blood, the Bible says Pharaoh's heart became hard. The second plague, it was hardened by Pharaoh. The third plague, it was hard. The fourth plague, it was hardened by Pharaoh. The fifth plague, it was unyielding. The sixth plague, Exodus 9, hardened by the Lord. Seventh plague, hardened by Pharaoh. Eighth, ninth, and tenth plagues, hardened by the Lord. Kelly Clarkston has a song, What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Stronger. I'm not sure it holds true. It can harden your heart toward the Lord if you're not careful. What if you only had one shot to come to Jesus? You say, that wouldn't be fair. You're right. It's not fair that we would have any because we deserve God's judgment and wrath. It would still be an act of grace and mercy from our holy God. Adversity, church family, can be a stepping stone toward holiness and sanctification or a stumbling block toward sin and callousness of heart. The plagues are a reminder to us today in 2020. They point to something bigger and more terrible. God told Pharaoh that judgment would come and it did. And God has told all of humanity through the declaration of his word that judgment is coming and it is. It's appointed unto man once to die. We will all stand before the judgment of this God. The plagues from a thousand years ago are assigned to us that this thing is legit. He's the creator, he's the judge, and finally this morning, quickest point, don't worry, the Lord is the gracious Savior. In Exodus 11, turn there with me quickly, please. Exodus 11, as we finish out, you've got some reading to do this week to go back and read through the plagues with these notes. But I want to remind you, we see the Lord pulling the curtain back on what's about to happen to Egypt. Now, he talked about it a while ago. But God is going to unpack what's coming. In verses 4 through 7 of chapter 11, So Moses says, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight I'll go out into the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from Pharaoh to the servants. We started out these plagues with a picture of blood, a sign of blood, right? Death was foreshadowed at the beginning with the Nile, with everything they held dear, it was turned to blood. Now it's going to be real life that's required. Pharaoh was warned of this in verses 4 through 8. He knew it would be costly all the way back from Exodus 4. Chapter 11 reminds us of the sacrifice of life that is required for the salvation of his people. Can you hear me say that again? A sacrifice of life is required for the salvation of his people. This started with blood and it ends with it. I know that's not popular and it can seem a little gory, but there's no way to get to an exodus without blood. There can be no escape from slavery, from the enemy, without blood. There can be no covering. Remember back with me in Genesis 3, as a result of Adam and Eve's sin, animals had to be killed so they could be covered in their nakedness, yeah? 
there had to be blood shed. There can be no covering of sin without the shedding of blood. God saves Israel. His judgment and mercy are intermingled because of blood. We see it happen. When many of us say we want to see the power of God, we mean we want some miracle that works in our favor. Egypt saw the power of God, the real God. They saw that God was the almighty creator, that he rules over creation alone. He's sovereign. He's the jealous God, and he will not share his glory with another. They saw that he was the righteous judge. He will punish people according to their sins. They saw that he was the gracious Savior. He is merciful. He will save all who cry out to him in humility and with genuine repentance. Our world has seen a global pandemic and most of the world has done its best to carry on as normal. I'm afraid we're going to look back and regret that we tried our best to get as quickly as we could back to normal as people who should have taken a moment to stop and think and consider and just take note of God and His mercy and His goodness. Instead of learning that we clearly cannot control or explain away all agents of suffering and death, we have looked for folks to blame. You see it in the political discourse of our ages. Let me remind you of this startling statistic. 100% of the people born die. But let me bring it a little closer home. Behold the power of God. And I'm closing. Week after week, you sit in a congregation. Week after week, you sit in a place watching on your phone or on a television screen or on your laptop, desktop, however you watch. Week after week, we sit and we see the power of God on display. You say, what? Ooh, what sign and what wonder? What channel is that on, preacher? <laughs> It's the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ proclaimed faithfully, which Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the power of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation for those who believe. You have the opportunity to witness this faithfully proclaimed as men of God obediently stand between heaven and earth behind the sacred desk and call men and women and boys and girls to harden not their hearts but to obey the Lord's command to repent and be saved. They're the same elements presence. There is a call to obedience. There's a display of God's power. There's pushing back against the counterfeit gospels from Satan and his minions. There's some hearts softening, but we are fully aware that there are hardening hearts in our midst. Though we were created in the image of God, your sin and my sin, all of creation's rebellion against this holy God looks just like Pharaoh's. You see, when we sin, you know what we're saying? What, Lord? Lord. I'm Lord. I'm in charge. But God will not overlook sin. The wages of sin is death. Not only physical death, but also spiritual death, which is separation from God and ultimately in a place called hell. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life, though, through Jesus Christ our Lord. It doesn't have to be that first way. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, truly God and truly man. 
He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He led a sinless life and was crucified to death on a criminal's cross outside the city as the sinner's substitute, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of sin. On the third day, he rose from the dead in the body which had been laid in the tomb. He ascended into the heaven where at the right hand of God, Father, he is now seated as high priest and advocate for the redeemed. Sinful man can only be saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ as Savior because of his substitutionary death and resurrection. Those who receive the Savior are born of the Holy Spirit, adopted as children of God, into the family of God, and are eternally secure. My question to you this morning is, will you fall like Egypt under the judgment of God, or will you be saved today? Behold the power of God. Let's stand and pray. Father, we are desperate to see you work and move in our lives and in our midst. We are desperate to see men and women and boys and girls come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not enough for us to just mark time on these pews, Sunday after Sunday, feasting on the word while the world perishes around us. We who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and know that there are starving people consuming poison all around us have an obligation to go and tell. Yes, we'll be rejected. Yes, it will be uncomfortable. But you are worth it. You're worth it. Lord, we want to see the power of God on display through the salvation of of those who would come to know you as Lord and Savior. I don't say it this way often, but keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment. We're about to sing. If you need to, the old timers would say, do business with God. If you are not saved, if you are afraid of death, that may be a good indication. You're afraid to stand before a holy God, you need Jesus as your advocate and your mediator. I'm right here. I'll be down front. Somebody else. There's elders in this room. There's men of God. We, we could probably get a, a mouse that's been in this church long enough to do the benediction. I, I will spend time with you as much as you need to lead you to Jesus. There are others who can do the same thing right on your pew next to you. Don't leave this place and not behold the power of God. Let's sing together this morning and worship the Lord.